Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast dedicated to all the things no one wants to talk about in real life. I am your host, Christina. It is Monday, December 9th. The year's almost over. This is actually a kind of a milestone uh, in the life of the podcast because um, this is the last episode of 2019 in which I will interview a guest uh, because I have something planned for the final episode of the year but it'll be by myself. So I was just looking over the list of people I've had on the podcast, and it's really humbling to think about all you guys volunteering your stories and your time and just being willing to be so vulnerable. Like, a lot of you were basically strangers to me when you signed up for to be on my podcast, and it's it's just really special to go back and, you know, remember all of those conversations we had. And I I do have something special planned for next episode. I want to recognize some of you guys. Uh, I have some stuff I want to talk about. But uh, today's episode, um, I interview Elena. She talks about her struggles with bulimia. Uh, She talks about a concept called harm reduction, which I think I mentioned on here before. But basically, harm reduction is when you're engaging in a an unhealthy behavior and you're not ready to stop yet or you can't stop yet, but you're taking steps to minimize the harm that you're doing to yourself. And um, we talk about the physical side of harm reduction, for instance, uh, brushing your teeth, baking soda after you purge. But I wanted to talk about um, mental harm reduction, which is something that Elena and I did not discuss in our conversation. Um, Basically, that's been a theme in my life lately is just going easy on myself, just being gentle to myself and not treating myself like trash because, um, you know, it's easy to go through the motions and, you know, take care of yourself physically, I guess, but mentally it's a lot harder. And um, my brother and uh, my friend Bianca have actually been helping me a lot this last month, um, just realizing that it's okay to mess up. I, I know I that's like my whole tagline for this podcast, but it's a lot easier to tell others to do it than it is to do it myself. And um, I'm, I'm definitely a hypocrite when it comes to that. I'm really hard on myself. And when I set a goal, uh, it's usually a really lofty one. And when I inevitably fail, I just treat myself like trash. Oh, hello. I got a text. So... I wanted to take a few moments to talk about the holidays because they're coming up faster than a lot of us would like, and it's a really hard time of year to have a mental illness, whether you're spending it alone or you're traveling to be with family. I just really wanted to put something together to help you guys during this time. So uh, you might remember last week I put out an Instagram story asking you guys for your holiday survival tips, and... I got a lot from you guys. I'm really grateful, but I wanted to say that um, I'm still accepting them. So if you have any tips for surviving the holidays with a mental illness, uh, or if you have any stories from your own experiences, I would love to hear them. You can DM me on Instagram. You can email me, picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com, and I will be featuring your stuff in an upcoming episode. So look forward to that. I'm also planning on taking a tiny break uh, in 2020, just, you know, for a couple weeks at the beginning of the year. Uh, But after that, I will be accepting new guests 
So if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast and talking about your mental health experiences, just hit me up and uh, we'll make the magic happen. You'll probably notice this week that we have a few minor technical difficulties. I mean, more than usual anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, I I really don't know what I'm doing. Like, I did take a few audio classes in college, but whenever I encounter, like, minor errors with my microphone, I, I don't know what to do. Um, I, I'm not really f- super familiar with the program. And so this week, we had some problems recording and um, I could have edited out some stuff, but I left it in just because it's kind of fun to hear what goes on behind the scenes. And also I want to share with you guys that, you know, it's not perfect and we're just figuring it out as we go too. So really excited about the episode. I hope you guys have a great Monday. I'm just going to jump right into the interview and hang in there. Oh, okay. Um, well, I just hit record. So <laughs> it wasn't going this whole time. Oh, great. I'm happy. Fantastic. I'm happy that I noticed that. Yeah. Pretty early on, too. So that's good. Yeah. One time I was recording with this guest and we went for like 40 minutes and then we, I realized it wasn't recording. Oh, no. And she had to go. So we had to like reschedule it and it was a whole mess. <laughs> but the second time around, we were like on our A game. I'm sure. Yeah. I already practiced it once, sort of. Nice. Um. So, do you pronounce your name Elena or Elena? Elena. Elena? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm so sorry. There's like, it sounds like there's a helicopter in the background. I'm gonna... Really? I'm gonna... Anyway, um, sorry guys. We just spent the last like 10 minutes trying to figure out our microphones and we're good now. <laughs> Technology is hard. Yes. Yeah. Um, my coworker is like 40 and he's always giving me a lot of shit for being a millennial but (laughs) the joke's on him because I grew up like super homeschooled and sheltered and so half the stuff he's talking about I don't even know about me too like most like pop culture references they go over my head never seen Spongebob me neither (laughs) oh my god my mom thought it was like stupid yeah we weren't allowed to watch anything on Nickelodeon as kids yeah Nickelodeon was like the devil channel (laughs) apparently if we watched it we would like suddenly rebel against our parents and become wise asses I guess that's what my parents thought too so okay so as you were saying before this whole audio thing happened you live in Kentucky now yes but you grew up in a Chicago suburb yeah that's right which um I also grew up in a Chicago suburb so represent yep small world I know and your name's Elena Yes, my and name you're is 20, Elena. And you're 21, and yes. I will let you explain the rest of your story. Okay. So when I was in middle school, I started to really struggle with a lot of, like, mood disorder-type problems, but I wasn't really ready to seek out help yet. What do you mean by mood disorder problems? So I didn't really know how to label emotions when I was younger. That was, like, a really hard thing for me. Like, I just knew that I was feeling bad all the time. But I never was able to realize, like, oh, I feel anxious or I feel depressed. But that's really what it was. So I didn't really know that it wasn't normal. I kind of thought everyone felt crappy all the time. Gotcha. Um, But then when I was older and I was in high school, we went on this uh, retreat my junior year. And there's, like, a lot of, like, witness talks. It was, like, a Catholic-based retreat. 
And a lot of people talked about their own struggles with different things in their lives. And some of it was mental health related. And I realized like, wow, that's kind of what I'm going through. So at that point, I started seeing a therapist. And it was just a very bizarre experience for me because I'd never really talked about my emotions or my feelings with anyone before. Your parents don't encourage that? No, not at all. My family's very like closed off. I kind of felt like I was entering new territory. Um, and I know my therapist was frustrated. She's like kept trying to get me to talk and get me to talk. And I never really knew what to say. And at that time, I was also bulimic. So I was struggling with that too. What time did that start for you? Uh, around age 15-ish, I'd okay. say. Yes, around there. So that was hard too. And my parents did not understand at all. Um, which I understand, like eating disorders are hard to understand oh, yeah. just in general, for people who don't um, experience them themselves. But my parents were like really kind of, it was very foreign to them. Like I remember my parents just asked like, why don't you just stop doing it? It's just a bad habit. Just stop. Just have some willpower and just like stop doing that. So girl, <laughs> <laughs> they just really did not understand. Did they know like right from the start that you were doing it? Um, my therapist told them. So, oh, did, yeah. Was, did you feel like that was a breach of confidence? No, I was actually glad that she did because I definitely wouldn't have had the courage to tell them. If you can pinpoint something that started it, what would it be? Uh, I don't really know. That's a really hard question. I realize. I know. It's, hard. it's not just one thing, you know, I think just yeah. like growing I mean, the mood disorder started first, like the anxiety and depression. That was definitely first. So I think maybe just like my eating disorder was part of coping with that in a way. And then my family has been kind of like weird about food my whole life. Uh, my mom's very health conscious, I almost to an extreme. So growing up, we were like vegetarian and gluten-free. And there are a lot of foods that were good foods and bad foods. And you can't eat that. And you have to eat this. And just a lot of kind of shame and guilt around food. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that was probably internalized growing up. Totally. That sounds pretty disordered to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's it crazy the, how like there's so much disordered behavior that's normalized in society that we don't realize is disordered behavior. Oh, definitely. Like labeling foods good and bad. Like foods are not inherently good or bad. They're just food. Like it's just calories that give you energy, you know? Yeah. In my family, there's a lot of like shaming about carbs. Like carbs are bad for you. Carbs are empty calories. They serve no purpose, but you need carbs. Like, everyone needs carbs. Oh, yeah. And the trends change, like, every year. Like, right now, carbs are evil. Next year, it'll be, like, I don't know, cheese. (laughs) Yeah, or eggs. You never know. Yeah. So, you grew up with a pretty weird attitude towards food, you said? Yes, definitely. Do you have any siblings? Yes, I have a sister. She's two years older than I am. And... I think that's also probably part of it, just, like, the competitive nature of having siblings. She was always, like, naturally thin growing up, and I wasn't overweight. I was just normal, but she got a lot of praise for being, like, extra thin, I suppose, and I don't know. I think that was hard for me to watch that and then feel fat because no one's saying that about me, even though I was fine, really. Did you ever talk to her about it? No. We were never close, so. Okay. So, um... Why do you binge and purge now? I think at this point, it's just such a habit and even more than a habit to the part where it's like just kind of part of who I am. It's like horrible as that sounds, but 
I've been doing this for so long. It's like, I don't know who I would be if I wasn't binging and purging. What do you think has changed about why you do it now compared to why you do it, did it then? I think everything's changed because when I first started doing it, it was pretty obvious like why I did it each time. Like me and my therapist, we talk about like what triggered that binge and all this stuff. And usually it's because I was stressed out about school or I was anxious about something. It was always kind of tied to a strong emotion that I was trying to kind of bury. And now I think I just, there's no reason. I just I do it all the time for no reason. It's a habit. You feel weird if you don't do it. Yes. I mean, it is an addiction and people don't realize that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I used to kind of feel like upset whenever I do it and it'd be kind of like an emotional thing. And now I just kind of do it without blinking and just move on with my day. Have you given any thought to like, the health consequences? Um, definitely, I have. Um, the biggest thing is, that's my concern is my teeth. I worry about the effect on my teeth a lot. You can get severe electrolyte imbalances, uh, stuff like that. But I guess I've kind of become complacent where I feel like it's unlikely to change or get much better. So I'm just kind of like doing whatever harm reduction I can do and just kind of living with it. I don't know. I'm drinking a Gatorade as we speak. <laughs> I drink a lot of Gatorade and Pedialyte, so... Oh, God, I Pedialyte. To... I love Pedialyte. My mom oh. used to drink um, those insurers. She would yeah. get, like, the chocolate kind, and I I used to steal them from the fridge, like, as a kid. <laughs> and now I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> they just remind me of treatment. Yeah. <laughs> I can't drinking that when you're not in treatment. Like, why? Oh, so that... Um, Sorry, you were talking about growing up, and then we kind of jumped forward a lot. Have you ever been in treatment for your eating disorder? Yes, I have. So that first therapist who I saw um, starting at age 16, um, I saw her for about five months and then she fired me as a client. because How come? <laughs> I know. People always are shocked to hear that. I guess it's not that common thing, but I guess I wasn't getting better fast enough or at all. What? And, <laughs> yeah. So she told me that she felt it was a um, her moral obligation to stop seeing me and refer me to a higher level of treatment so I mean doesn't this bitch want to get paid <laughs> I know <laughs> I mean that's like two times a week or something I don't know but also that like you were pretty young that just seems kind of strange that yeah. she would do that maybe she's tired of me who knows <laughs> but um yeah so after about five months she stopped seeing me and she referred me to this eating disorder clinic about like 45 minutes from my house and the only problem was that, like, my insurance was really shitty when I was a kid, um, like, under 18. Uh-huh. And, like, my insurance was, like, a HMO, I think it's called. So it was, like, the lowest, like, least covered insurance. And so my parents had to pay for all my treatment out of, po- out of pocket. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Cringe. That so, shit is so expensive. It's crazy. It, it makes me so sad that, like, the reason a lot of people don't seek treatment is just because of the price tag. Definitely. It's insane. And for my parents, they were okay to pay for, like, once-a-week therapy. Like, even that's expensive. Oh, yeah. It's middle class, so it's kind of a burden. But when you talk about, like, an, the next level, it's, like, so much more expensive. I ended up doing three weeks at that center, and it was, like six grand I think fuck I mean I believe it like I'm not that shocked it's just I'm glad your parents did it I'm glad too I wouldn't say it like helped a whole lot but I am glad that I did it because it did help some 
What was your that, mindset going into it? I felt really defeated. It's kind of hard to be fired by a therapist and be like, wow, you think I'm that bad? Like, you can't even help me? Like, Yeah, that's like the last resort. <laughs> yes. Like, she was the first therapist I ever saw. So I kind of oh be like, God. wow, like, maybe, like, I'm so, I'm so sick. I'm, like, too bad for, like, anyone to help me. I don't know. Whenever oh I went God. into the treatment center, I was just really defeated, but I wanted to make the most of it. So I was determined to, like, really try in my opinion, therapy is just so tiring and it's possible to just kind of give up and just kind of like sit through it and not really put in as much effort anymore. Totally. But I really wanted to make the most of it when I went in for my, my new treatment center. And so I did, but it was, it was a little weird because at that point I was either 17 or almost turning 17. And I was in the teen program, of course, but there's only one other person there my age and everyone else was like 12, 13, 14 which is fine, but I just kind of felt weird in group. Like my life experience and their life experience is so different and I just felt out of place. Well, yeah, that's a really, at that stage in life, the differences are definitely more pronounced. Definitely. So yeah, I would feel weird too. And when you're 17, you're basically an adult, but you're not really an adult. You're at that weird point where no one is really treating you like a kid or an adult. Yeah, it was definitely a strange experience. I hated group therapy. I thought it was kind of pointless because the therapists who like led the group didn't really talk a whole lot. She just kind of would pose a question and then the rest of us would talk. And I just didn't really gain very much from hearing the fellow patients talking about their lives. Yeah, I was just kind of like getting on a soapbox and like venting. Yeah, that's what it was like. And of course, you're restricted. You can't say certain things. You can't say certain words. So it was kind of confusing to try to understand someone's story when it's so censored also would people try to offer each other advice at least yeah they would which is kind of nice but also at that time I didn't really want advice from someone five years younger than I was yeah understandable so yeah (laughs) it was okay and then we had uh, meal times just weird um, because we all kind of (laughs) sat at the same table but we couldn't talk about most topics we couldn't talk about food at all period and then there's like a dietitian who kind of made the rounds and it was just a very strange environment yeah I can remember my own days in a treatment center when I was the same age and it's you feel like you're being babysat definitely and and the whole being censored thing is really hard to get past I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely weird it's and like everyone knows why you're there. Right. Everyone knows you're all fucked up about food. Why can't you just talk about it? Because you can't talk about it with normal people. Like, can't you at least talk about it with, like, fellow disordered right. people? I agree with that. Like, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be offended if someone said, like, the word calorie. It wouldn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to say calorie. You're not allowed to say fat. Yes. Um, Stuff like that. Ugh, this is bringing back memories. And then I remember um, this one weird rule where for the meals you had to bring one dairy and one fruit. So you could bring like an apple and a cheese stick or you could bring like uh, a banana and a carton of milk. Like just you could choose a fruit and a dairy. And I would always choose the lowest calorie things, which kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? I would choose like the lowest calorie fruit I could find and lowest calorie. Even though I was trying, I still – it was hard to resist, like, you know, the temptation to take control of what you, the little things that you could k- take control of. Well, yeah, because so. you've, I mean, 
Were you still binging and purging while you were in this treatment program? Yeah, definitely less, but I still was. Okay. I mean, yeah, your whole world is changing. You're losing some aspects of control and the brain just seizes onto whatever it can. And they do make it really easy (laughs) to find loopholes. Yes, that's the the funny thing, too, is like no one really cared to check what you were choosing to have as your fruit in your dairy. I thought for sure someone was going to call me out on it. Like, you realize you chose the the lightest options possible, but no one cared. No one said anything to me about it. It's like, oh, she's here for bulimia, so we don't have to worry about what she's (laughs) eating. Yes. Yeah. So you were there for three weeks? Yes. And then did the money just run out or you just decided it wasn't helping? It was supposed to be like a three-month program, something like that. It was supposed to be definitely longer term, but my parents couldn't afford it anymore, so they pulled me out of it. The last day, my mom was crying because she's like, I feel so bad that we have to cut this short and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it sucks, but what can you do? You seem like you have a really positive attitude. I just want to make the, the most of what I have, I suppose. I mean, I mean, it would be great if I could have stayed longer, but it is what it is. So it ended up being kind of a good thing, though, because after that, my mom found this a woman who has a private practice and she offered um, one-on-one therapy and then a weekly group therapy. And although I just said I don't like group therapy, I really did enjoy that group therapy because it was more like a class. It was like a DBT skills kind of group. And what does DBT stand for? It's dialectical behavioral therapy. I'm sure I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I can't remember acronyms to save my life. (laughs) It's Um, okay. What is that exactly? Um, it's a type of therapy that really focuses on emotional regulation. So a lot of things that we learn in the class is like ways to self-soothe, calm yourself down, um, manage your emotions, um, ways to think through problems and like a very balanced approach. So I really did enjoy that. There are like two therapists who taught the class and then we were talking group, how we could apply it to our own lives. And we do like work sheet pages and everything. And that was probably the healthiest I've been um, since I got sick was during that time because it was just a great support system. And then I had one-on-one therapy once a week uh, with that therapist and she was the best ever. She did like all her like PhD research on eating disorders. So she really like knew what she was doing. Nice. It's so hard to find that. Yes. Yes, definitely. Was your insurance paying for it at this point or were your parents still paying for it? Still my parents. Okay. But it was cheaper than the other program? Yes, it was. So that was really great. And that therapist was like, no bullshit. Like I, she would cut me off if I was starting to go down a rabbit hole. Dude, that's the Uh, best kind of therapist. Yes. I hate it when they're too nice. I know. And she knew all my patterns, like all the um, self-sabotaging bullshit that I do. She knew all of it. So she could cut me off right away and redirect me. And it was just great. Like what's an example? I guess... I don't even realize when I do this, but I guess if, like, the therapy appointment gets too hard, I kind of start to shut down and, like, refuse to talk. It sounds so, like, childish and stupid, but, like, I guess I kind of do that self-consciously. So I remember one time she told me, like, okay, um, you can go home now. And it had only been, like, 10 minutes. She's like, I'll tell your mom that, like, you didn't want to talk and we'll try again next week. And she just would not, like, entertain my bullshit. And so then I was like, okay, okay, I'll talk. Like, we can talk through this. So. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, she was great. Um, But then at that point, I was about to be 18 and about to go to college. So I was going to have to move away. So Is that your puppy in the background? Yeah, sorry. Oh, my God. You have the cutest dog ever. He's crazy. He's a handful, but I love him. 
You should send me a picture so I can post it to my Instagram story. So yes, the I will. Listeners can see just how cute he is. What's his name? Yeah. Alistair. Alistair, that's so cute. Okay, anyway, um, tell me about going to college. So going to college was really rough because I was in a different state. I didn't know anyone, and like my whole support network network I had built over the past year was just gone. So I felt kind of like I don't know, very out of my own, and I wasn't ready to be. And then college dining halls is a whole other problem. Oh my <laughs> for god! A for a bulimic, yes, like ugh. it's hell and heaven at, at the same time. Yes, I don't know how other colleges are, but my college, you got a certain number of meal swipes a week, and then whenever you go to like the dining hall, you just swiped in, and then there's like no limit to how much you can get. You yep. can get whatever you want, and for like as long as you want, you can stay there for three hours if you want to, <laughs> like. No one cares. Like, is once you're in, you're in. You can just like do whatever you want. So, dude, I used to go to a college that had that, and I used to like steal cookies and stuff. Did you do that? Yeah, I stole shit, and then there were like bathrooms inside the dining hall. So I would like just binge and then purge and just go back and binge and purge again, just back to back to back because you didn't even have to leave the dining hall to use the bathroom. So it was a one stop shop. Yeah, <laughs> it was really really bad for a while. So I I think. I mean, my own bulimia also got really bad when I left the house for the first time to go to college. I think it's a pretty common scenario for people with eating disorders because, you know, you like you said, you lost your, your network. There's no accountability. Definitely. Um, you're out on your own. And especially if you go, like, out of state, it's like, mm-hmm. it's hard to keep tabs on you. Yeah. And it was hard because, like, back home, like, my friends and my family, they all knew that I was struggling with an eating disorder. So they were able to support me. But I didn't tell anyone, any of my new friends at college, so they never suspected anything. They never so, thought it was weird that you spent three hours in the dining <laughs> hall? They never knew. <laughs> they never knew. Did you make a lot of friends at that college? Yeah, I actually did. I lived in honors housing, so it was like a smaller community in the dorms. So I had a lot of really good friends. But mm-hmm. I was also kind of bitter and unhappy to be at that university Oh, sorry. I was just about to ask um, what made you go out of state to that particular school. So I got a scholarship to go there. And my parents, they didn't want to pay for my college, obviously. Like, they'd already spent enough on my treatment. Yeah. They were like, you can go here or we're not going to pay for, you know, a different college. So I really didn't have a choice at the end. And I just felt so frustrated and powerless. So I was just very bitter for the first year, I'd say. Unhappy, but slowly I got more used to it and now I'm really happy here. I'm glad I came here for college. Um, what but year are you? I'm a senior. I have one semester left. Oh, my God. You're in the final stretch. I know. It's and crazy. It what, goes so fast. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, you just have done – you haven't had any breaks, right? You've just been doing it. Nope. I've been full-time since the beginning. Yeah. It goes by super, super fast. What are you studying? So I'm a dual degree – I'm going to get one bachelor's degree in Spanish and then one in communication disorders. So I'm looking at grad school next year for speech pathology. What is that exactly? So it's like anything to do with the speaking or swallowing apparatus. So you can do speech therapy for kids or adults, or you can do swallowing therapy for anyone like who's had like a stroke or brain injury, anything that would affect um, the, the swallowing mechanisms, like a, any kind of paralysis or anything like that. What led you to that? I always wanted something medical related, but I'm really, really bad with needles. Like, I almost always pass out when I get my blood drawn. So 
that role that knows things. And then I like language a lot. So that would be a good fit for me. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And like now that I'm here, I've like considered many times throughout my college career, I thought about going back to therapy and, you know, all of that. But it's just kind of overwhelming to start over again. Oh, wow. So you haven't done anything since nope, you got No, not there? since I got here. Yeah. Is there a particular reason? Um, yeah, there's a few reasons. I have a lot better insurance now, actually, than I did when I was younger. So I would be able to afford it now, which is good. But the area that I'm in has almost no therapists who specialize in eating disorders. I mean, there are plenty who will do it, but it's not their primary focus. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of like addiction in this area of the country. A lot of opioid abuse. And most of what you see is like addiction treatment centers and addiction therapists. So it's really hard to kind of find someone who would be able to help me. And there's also like a lot of like Christian based kind of therapy, which is kind of a regional thing, I suppose. But I'm not interested in that either. Okay. <laughs> I can also relate to a lot of what you're saying. My yeah. my college was in Oklahoma. So Ooh, right in the smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. Yeah, and I mean, just kind of starting over with a new therapist is so hard, too, because you have to get them up to date on everything and, you know, explain your whole life story from the mm-hmm. beginning. And I don't know. And it's not a guarantee, either. Like, what if you do all that and then you don't like them? You have to start all over. I've definitely made appointments before and then just cancel them because I'm like, I, I don't go to this. Going back to your freshman year, did the bulimia keep worsening or did it slowly, like, get better? I would say it just kind of kept worsening. But it did get better when I got off campus my sophomore year. That was a lot of like a very positive change for me, I think. Because like the dining hall was just such a temptation. It was so like easy to do. It was like, right there, it was like next to my dorm. Like it was so hard to like not like go there. Hi but... Alistair. <laughs> he wants attention. But yeah, once I was off campus, it definitely got easier to manage. So you said that you practice a lot of harm reduction. Can you explain that concept to the listeners who might not know? So my kind of understanding of harm reduction is accepting that you won't be able to like stop the behavior entirely right now at this point in your life. So you're just going to take certain measures to reduce the long-term effects or even short-term effects that it's going to have on your body. So with bulimia, I make sure that I, I stay hydrated because when you're purging, you're dehydrating your body. And I make sure that I drink like Gatorade and Pedialyte, which replenishes your electrolytes. And um, I try to take care of my teeth as much as possible, like using baking soda and uh, stuff like that to clear out the stomach acid. That's a big one for sure. Mm -hmm. Just stuff like that I try to keep in mind because I've had plenty of times where I've just like fainted because of the binging and purging. So I try to make sure my electrolytes aren't fucked up and my hydration and everything. So Yeah, that shit can get scary really fast. Yeah, definitely. So as a bulimic person, have you ever felt like... Like, I don't know. For me personally, being bulimic, I I, sometimes I feel like my sickness is fake. Because, like, I love food and I love eating food. And I know within the eating disorder community, there's a lot of imposter syndrome where like you feel like you're not sick enough 
to need attention. Like you can be at like a death door, like binging and purging every waking minute and you still feel like, or I still feel like I don't need help. So, I mean, what's your experience with that? Yeah. I'm the same way. Um, I kind of cycle through different, I guess, phases in my life. Like I go through phases where I'm just binging and purging all the time and eating normally outside of that. I have stages where I'm restricting a lot more and not really binging and purging. So I don't know. I just, I feel like since I, I kind of fluctuate a lot in my behaviors, it doesn't really feel as valid. I don't know. It's yeah. it's kind of hard to organize in my mind because like last year I was just restricting a lot and lost a lot of weight and now I'm just kind of chilling and binging and purging. I don't really care too much about calories at this point. Yeah, it's so. just the behavior. It's the the addiction. Yeah. But I know like it's quite likely in a few months I'll start to care again and then it's kind of a cycle that I go through. Totally. And you've been going through that cycle since you were 15. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, do you still talk to your parents at all? Like how how much contact do you maintain with them? Um, we t- well, I text them. We don't really talk much. Okay. Do you go home? Um, not often. I went home for Thanksgiving and that was the first time I've been home in about a year. And I ended up just leaving early. I was in the safe for like the whole weekend and after Thanksgiving I just went home. Did anything in particular cause it or you were just not having it? Yeah, my parents are just like very hard to get along with. So I was like, all right, I'm leaving. Yeah, I mean, it's great that they paid for your treatment all those years. I mean, it was nice of them to pay for it, but they kind of just use it as leverage. Like, we paid for that, so we're not going to pay for anything else now kind of thing. Do they do the same thing to your sister? No. Um, they paid for her college. <laughs> Damn, that's really shitty. Yeah. Have I you ever, a- like, gotten into fights with them about it? No. No. So you don't really I- talk to them at all, like, good or bad? No, we just end up fighting if we talk, like, about dumb stuff. So, like, when I was over there for Thanksgiving, they complained because Alistair was whining. <laughs> like you just heard on the podcast, he does yeah. it sometimes. And I was like, "It's he's he's a puppy. Like I don't know what you expect from him. Like he's gonna whine every once in a while. Yeah. At least it's dark. At least he doesn't do like other stuff. He doesn't destroy things. So oh, I just he knows we're back. talking about him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I ended up coming back home, and my dad called me on the, when I was driving back. He's like, "I'm sorry. Like next time it'll be different. Now that we've gotten to know your dog and all this stuff, I'm like, this is crazy that we're fighting over." whether you've gotten to know my dog or not like you haven't seen your daughter in a year and this is what you choose to like fixate on yes exactly it's silly (laughs) yeah that's that's rough when you don't have a support system at home it's really hard like I'm incredibly fortunate to have a supportive family I mean one of the reasons I do have such a good relationship with them is because I don't live with them like I live on the other side of the country (laughs) I mean, it, it wasn't always like that, but we, we're pretty civil now. Like, when we get together, they know about my struggles and they don't bug me about it. But, like, if I ask for help, they'll support me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. Well, that's good. I mean, my mom also had an eating disorder herself, so she's no stranger to it. That helps a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure she can understand a little bit more. Yeah. And, I mean, you don't, you don't know that about your parents because they don't really talk about mental health, right? Yeah, they don't really. My dad, he's like, he was born in Mexico and raised there. So I think there's a little bit of a cultural difference. He doesn't really understand a lot of the open dialogue about mental illness that's more common in this country than it is in other places in the world. 
Have you ever been outside of the country? Yeah, I've been to uh, Mexico and Chile. And uh, how long were you there? Um, Mexico, I've just been for like two weeks at a time, like on vacation or whatever. Um, And I was in Chile for four weeks. Okay. So was that long enough to kind of notice the cultural differences in mental health wise? Or were you even like looking for it? Uh, No, not really. I wasn't really paying much attention. Yeah. I mean, I'm just really curious about it. My my sister-in-law is Filipino. She was on the podcast a few months ago talking about her culture and how they, you know, they just sweep everything under the rug and they don't talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, it just really fascinates me. Definitely. Me too. I mean, I can't speak to, like, Mexican culture as a whole, but definitely in my family, like, my dad's side, it's totally common and normal to talk about someone's body, like, describe them as, like, fat or thin. Like, there's a lot of nicknames, like, terms of endearment that have to do with, like, being thin, uh, stuff like that, just kind of normal. Wait, so, like, for instance, they would describe someone as fat, but it wouldn't be a bad thing? It would just be, like, a, a nick, like a nickname or... I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's it's weird for me to think about, because when you're, when you're deep in your disorder, you, you see someone heavier than you, and you just can't even imagine being comfortable with that kind of body, but, you know, yeah, turns true. out... Some people care about other things. <laughs> yeah, there are other hobbies out there. Um, have you had any romantic relationships over the years? Oh, yes, I have. Um, I dated one guy from 18 until 19. One for like five months when I was 19. And then recently, this one that a guy did him from, from 20 to about a month ago. Okay. How did your eating disorder play into those relationships? Um, the first one, I told him from the jump about my eating disorder, and he was really understanding as well as he could have been, but he also didn't really understand eating disorders, especially bulimia. He would just say, like, oh, you're beautiful, you're perfect how you are, like, you don't, you don't have to do this. Classic. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm not doing this, quote, doing this, because of any aesthetic reason. I so think that's that's a really common misconception. I mean, even my own brother who I love and who I tell everything to, he doesn't understand bulimia at all. Yeah. Like he thinks it, it's I mean, he thought it was about looks. I had to kind of explain. No, it's an addiction. Yeah. I think it's cool that you just told him right off the bat though. Like how do you even do that? I can't imagine. I don't know. I was brave, I guess. I wanted to look, I was like young. I'm like, oh, I want like no secrets between us. I want this to be a good relationship. And I mean, looking back, I laugh at that because that was just silly. I mean, he ended up being kind of a dick about it at the end where he wanted me to tell him every time that I binged and purged. I'm like, you realize this is like a lot of times. And he's like, yeah, I just want you, I just want to know. And I'm like, well, I don't want to talk about it every time. Like, I don't want to have this conversation about it every time. Like, I just kind of got irritated with it, and then he kind of tried to, like, be a therapist, sort of, like, armchair psychologist, and I'm like, I don't want you to do that. Like, just shut up about it. Like, I mean, that, they think it's helping, though. Like, that's the I thing. Know. I mean, uh, it's such a difficult disease to understand. They think, like, holding you accountable will help you. Right, and, like, there are definitely par- times in my life where I'm very just complacent in it, and I'm like, oh, this is my life right now, like... I'm still moving forward. I'm still doing school, still working on my life. Well, yeah, I was just about to say that's what you said earlier. Like, it's just part of who you are and, you know, you don't love it. But 
I feel like everyone yeah. has something, you know? Yeah, um, and, like, he at the time, he, like, tried to, like, be like, oh, like, let's figure out some solutions. Let's talk about, let's talk about this. Let's do this. And, like, I don't want to. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't care. Like, just, just drop it. Um, we'll go back to romantic relationships in a little bit, but have you ever felt like you've been stigmatized because of your bulimia? Uh, I don't think so. Like, I don't really talk to many people about it. Only, like, a couple of friends know, like, I don't know. I don't really care to talk about it a whole lot. Well, and I think that is kind of telling in and of itself, though, that you don't want to talk about it. Like, for instance, I've struggled with alcohol addiction and bulimia, and it was way easier to tell people about the alcohol addiction because that's like a it's a very familiar narrative right and the steps to recover are way more linear I think but when I try to talk to people about my bulimia it's just so shameful and Mm -hmm. like I don't want them to get the wrong idea about me and like like you said nobody really understands yeah and for me it's hard because I'm I'm a normal body weight like most bulimics are like either a normal weight or a little bit overweight, but still for me, it's hard to tell people like, Hey, I have an eating disorder when I'm not underweight. Cause I feel like they're gonna look at me like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You don't look like you do. And well, like, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about having the imposter syndrome, like, because you don't look like, you know, a stick you feel like, or maybe other people feel like you don't deserve that kind of attention. I don't know. I'm just kind of afraid of like what they're thinking in their head about me. Now, when I reached out to you um, and asked you kind of what you wanted to talk about, one of the things you said was anxiety. I don't think you've mentioned that a lot yet. Um, Yeah, I don't really know what really to say about that. I feel like that really just kind of ties in a lot to my eating disorder. In what Uh, ways? I think I kind of like that's just always there in the background of the anxiety. I mean, right now it's mostly about like connected to school since I'm a student, like I like freak out about my assignments and like my tests and all that and just kind of my life in general. I'm like, oh, my life, where's it going? What am I doing? All this stuff. So I think I just kind of turn to my eating disorder whenever I'm feeling really anxious. It's kind of like a distraction. It kind of like helps you self-soothe. Yeah. It's like something else to focus on, like kill a few hours doing this instead. Yeah. Um, You mentioned when you were – in that good therapy group that you liked that you learned some like other self-soothing methods. Do you remember what they were? Uh, I don't really remember all of them. I don't, I definitely don't use very many of them anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was going to say, um, I was going to ask you like if what you've done, that's like you found helpful over the years, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The whole point of this podcast is to just talk about how fucked up we are and like, Sometimes I feel pressure to, like, be, like, some of my friends and family have been like, um, your podcast isn't positive enough. You need to, um, leave people with a message. I'm like, you're misunderstanding the whole point then. That's life, though. It's not always positive. Seriously. There's one thing I do remember. It's, like, temperature. Like, you can put, like, run your hands and your wrists under really cold water to kind of, like, ground yourself. And that's something I, I still do, like, today. Like, if I feel, like, really anxious, like, I'm, like, freaking out, I just, like, go to the bathroom and, like, put my wrists under really, really cold water, and that kind of helps me, like, just chill for a second. Have you ever tried, like, meditation or anything like that? Um, I have. I just didn't really find it terribly helpful. I keep meaning to give it, like, a proper try, but it's hard to sit still for that long. 
Yeah. And I kind of don't really feel like it's that rewarding for the time that you put into it. I mean, I'm sure it is once you get good at it, but in the beginning stages, I'm just like, I don't really want to spend my time doing this. Do you um, have any sorts of hobbies or anything like that? Uh, Yeah, I do quite a bit of hiking and camping, um, some backpacking. Where I live, there's like a lot of really great places to go for outdoorsy stuff. Um, I like to read uh, fiction and poetry. I do some painting as well. Have you found that it's harder to focus on those things when you're binging and purging all the time? Definitely. If I binge and purge too much, I get like super depressed and I just don't want to do anything and then I'm like lay in bed all day. So it just kind of becomes really like a negative spiral. Yeah. So, um, talking about romantic relationships again. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> you said you're seeing someone now. No, I was until recently. Oh, okay. How, how did that end up? Um, so I kind of took a different approach with that relationship where I, at the beginning, I told him, like, hey, just so you know, I used to struggle with bulimia, keyword being used to. Yeah. I kind of it as, like, a, oh, but, like, we're cool now. It's all good now, which, like, is dishonest. So I didn't really want to tell him that, like, it was still ongoing because I didn't want him to really be hyper aware of what I was yeah, doing. Yeah, you didn't want him to do what the other guy did, which was, you yeah. know, act like your therapist. Exactly. And I was so afraid of that happening again, just messing up the relationship. So, I'm like, I'm just going to tell him, like, so he's aware, but also not like too clued into what it, like what's going on. So that's just kind of how it was for the whole relationship, where I didn't really talk about it ever. And I'm not sure if that was a mistake or not. Like in a way, it was nice because I felt like my eating disorder did not affect our relationship as much as it would had had he known. But at the same time, like maybe it would have been nice if he had known. But everyone's know. different too. You know, like, you don't know if he would have been like the other guy, but, like, you can't be disappointed if you don't say anything. Yeah. I never gave him the chance to, like, I don't know. It's easy to say, you know, don't date someone until you love yourself. But that's not, like, if if it's part of your identity and something you live with on a daily basis, I think it's really important to just take what bits of normalcy you you can get, which includes, you know, a healthy dating life. And I've really been wanting to talk about this for a while is like dating with an eating disorder because it's incredibly complicated. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering like if you had any pieces of hindsight from your experiences, like things you wish you'd done differently or like tips that you have. I don't know. Um, I think I wish in my last relationship that I'd been more honest with him that I wish I'd just been like, hey, just so you know, like it's still something I struggle with, but I don't want to talk about it very often if you have questions you can ask me questions but I just don't want to talk about it at length I think if I had said something like that that would have been a lot more fair to him because then he would have had the chance to ask me about it and I also would have been honest about my needs and expectations stuff like that so yeah I mean you're you're still amazingly young (laughs) (laughs) um I say that like I'm an old lady I'm 27 that's (laughs) Do you find that the more experience you get, like, the more comfortable you feel, like, moving forward? Yeah. I think it's easier over time because, I mean, when I was a teenager, I could barely talk about it ever. Like, it was, like, the most shameful thing to me now. And back then it was. And now I'm just like, oh, yeah. 
hi, nice to meet you. I have an eating disorder. Like, I kind of, like, don't really care as much. Now, is that the same approach you take with platonic friendships? Um, yeah. I mean, I tell some of my friends, but also I don't really see how it's terribly relevant, I suppose. Well, you've normalized it so much. Yeah. I kind of don't really see the point, and I feel like I freak people out because my attitude's kind of so, like, blasé about it. Yeah, I think people are confused, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, it's just what it is. And they're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, aren't you going to take this more seriously? And I think it's hard for people to understand. Like, I've been bulimic since I was 15. Like, it's been a while. Like, I'm just so used to it now. Now, the the, the counter argument to that would be, you know, you're hurting yourself actively. You're not supposed to be, let's say, about it. But I t- also totally get where you're coming from. And I think in some ways we should be able to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's hard to strike a balance, right? Because, like, I feel like mental health issues should be more normalized for sure, and it shouldn't be just, like, this boogeyman in the closet, and we, should, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. But at the same time, we should be able to respect, like, how serious it is because there are some medical consequences that can come along with it as well that are very serious, so... It's all about finding that balance. Have you seen that meme that or that Twitter post that's like 28 years old and the number one thing I've learned in life is if you're ever in a meeting, just say it's all about finding that balance. <laughs> so you're about to graduate. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Um, definitely scared. I've definitely gotten used to living here and it's going to be really weird to have to move again and rebuild my life somewhere else because I'm going to go to grad school. So I'm applying right now, and then I'll have to make a choice about where I want to go. But everywhere I'm looking is far, so it's definitely going to be a big move either way. And that could be a good thing, you know, get a change of scenery. Yeah, hopefully it'll be a positive thing. It's just weird because when I was dating uh, my ex, we had planned to, like, move together, and there's some comfort in that, you know, like, I'm not going to do it alone. He's going to, like, come with me. It's going to be great, and then... Uh, we break up, and I was like, oh, shit, like, I had to do this all for myself, so. Yeah. Are you pretty comfortable by yourself, or is that something you struggle with? I like living alone. Um, I live alone now in a studio, and it's nice, and I take care of my own my like, my own life and manage my own stuff. And But still, it's nice to have someone to kind of help you out and feel less alone. Being an adult, you know, it's, it's weird because I'm at the age where it's like, I'm an adult now, but also I don't feel like an adult. I feel like I know what I'm doing. I don't know how taxes work. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but you kind of don't know what you're doing yet. Definitely <laughs> I not. don't fucking know what I'm doing. No one knows what they're doing. That's the thing. You just got to pretend you do. Definitely trying my best, but it's it's hard. <laughs> For sure. Where do you see yourself in a year? Um, I definitely want to go out west somewhere. Maybe once I have my career started, I'll be able to afford to live somewhere, but we'll see how it goes. What about about mental health-wise? Where do you see yourself moving along in that regard? I think I'll probably be about the same, is my guess. It's not that I've given up entirely on therapy. I probably will end up going back eventually. It's just not a very high priority right now. I guess. Yeah, I mean, would you feel like it's not affecting your life that negatively right now? I mean, it does affect my life negatively, but at this point, it's all it's manageable. Until it's not. That's the thing. Yeah. 
I'm not like deluding myself. Like I know it's going to become a worse problem like as time goes on. For right now, I kind of just want to focus on school and not really worry about therapy because for me, therapy is just so draining and so much work. It really is. It's just so ironic that, you know, people with mental health problems are expected to go about finding a therapist because that's literally one of the most mentally draining things you can do. Yes. (laughs) There's got to be an easier way. You know what I'm saying? I hope so. Someday it'll come up with something. I know they have like that better help app and stuff like that where you can like talk to them on the phone or text them. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I just I thought that would not be the same. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't think I would like that. I'm really weird about talking to people on the phone. So I feel like that would be well, like you said, not the same. I think it's more impactful when like you can look at them in the eye and like like in-person therapy. Yeah. I mean, if any of you listeners have used stuff like this and it's worked for you, let me know because I'm always looking to recommend stuff on the podcast. I mean, I really do like your attitude of, you know, this is part of me and I'm not sweating it. Like, it's... I have mixed feelings because obviously, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I'm preaching to the choir, but... yeah. I do feel like if you're going to struggle with it, you might as well have that attitude, you know? And like, I feel like everyone has their own struggles and this is just mine, so. Exactly. You do what you do to survive and I don't know. I, I almost feel bad saying that, like I'm encouraging it or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think you should be able to talk about it. That's like the hard thing with like online eating disorder communities is that the very best ones are the ones where you just accept each other yeah. and you're able to talk openly about, like, your struggles and no one's, like, judging you or criticizing you. But at the same time, they can kind of come across as, like, condoning or supporting. Totally. Even- Do you ever just stop and think, wow, this person is uh, really hurting themselves. Uh, I should be more not okay with this. Yes, definitely. Or even to yourself, like, look at yourself and think that. <laughs> Yeah, like, I make light of I make light of things a lot, like my own struggles. Like I always kind of like, laugh about it, like oh, lol, like and well, it's not it's not funny. That's a coping mechanism, though, treating it lightly and you know looking at the humorous side of things. I think that's really important, just in general in life, to be able to laugh at yourself. And I agree, we can come across kind of wrong sometimes to people who don't have mental illness, and then it's like, well, like yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, thank you so much for doing this so last minute. Yeah. I, like, really, really appreciate it. And I've been wanting to, like, have you on for a while. So it worked out so thank well. You I hope the sound's okay. Sorry about oh, the headphones. Oh, yeah. No, it sounds great. I feel like every week I have some sort of technical difficulty and just <laughs> deal with it, you know? Yeah. No one's going to take this too seriously, so I try not to. <laughs> That's a good attitude to have. Yeah. It's all about all about attitude all about finding that balance (laughs) perfect well you have a great rest of your night thank you you too yeah i will talk to you later okay bye bye